change around my team. Yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up. Welcome to Podski Weeby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Michael Graham. Well, happy new year to you, Mike. Happy new year to everyone out there. It's our first show of the new year. We got a jam-packed one for every today, for everyone today. The first of what I guess we're gonna say is a little bit of a new era for the show. Probably gonna be a bit of a long episode. Today we have a lot of stuff to cover. Bo Levi Mitchell news, player resignings, the the schedule came out. But I guess we kind of have to start by discussing something a little more personal. And that's my recent decision, as everyone probably listening already knows. I recently left Three Down Nation as kind of the Ticats guy. So I'm sure some of you out there have questions as to why. That includes you, Mike. I'm sure you're, uh, I know, the peek behind the curtain, Mike knows why I left. Uh, we've obviously talked about this. My decision wasn't made hastily. This has been in the works for a while now, but. Mike's going to act as kind of the audience surrogate here because it would just be me blathering on while you sat there in silence. And I don't think that would be very fun for you. So what's on your mind about this, Mike? Like we put out a tweet asking for questions. We, I'm sure there was a ton there. Ask me whatever you want. I'll be as honest as I can with my answers on why I left. All right. Well, I'm just wondering the reason, um, you've been with them since the beginning of the website and, uh, you know, you probably thought that you'd be there for a very long time. I'm just, I know the reason, but let's inform the audience as to why you are stepping away from your duties at Three Down. Little bit of it is burnout, doing it for so long, doing it so, like Grey Cup week, I did a lot of stuff and it just, I, I was, again, burnt out is probably the best way to describe it. There's a little bit of a loss of like what else do you have to say like maybe the fact that 2023 for the Ticats played out the exact same as 2022 led to this a little bit but you know sometimes you're just you're ready for something new you know and I just feel as if at this point I've kind of said everything that I wanted to say about the team in that forum and you know, there was there was some other stuff to be quite honest. Like, I don't necessarily agree with some of the editorial changes that the site has has gone through. Um, I mean, you, I, no one out there who reads the site can is stupid. They they see that the it's changed from what it was at the beginning. In the beginning, it was it was fresh. It was different. It was it was more analytical than I think it's become now. I think you look at the site now, and it's a lot of what did so-and-so say? And it's a lot of, you know, what's the best? How's the, what, what about what, let me ask you as a, like, just a quick question as a reader, like, have you noticed the changes in kind of the content on the site from when, and I know everything evolves, but have you noticed mm-hmm. there's been a, like, 
it's been less about sort of like digging into because when I started Drew Edwards, who I'll be honest with you, if Drew was still there, I probably would still be there, quite frankly. But he left years ago now and I and I hung around. But he was always anyone can report the news. We want to be about analysis. And I feel as if it's gotten a lot less of the analytical stuff. It's more of like let's let's open the the site right now. Um, I'm literally doing this live on air and we'll, we'll look at what their stuff is. So the, the, here's, here's what they have on the front page. It's Kyle Walters quotes about him, about Drew Brown, Ed Hervey on Duke Williams and Chris Edwards, Kyle Walters on Brady Olivier and Dalton Schoen, Trevor Harris restructuring his contract and what he had to say about that. Scott Milanovic on him becoming the writer's head coach, Bob Dice talking about something, McLeod Bethel Thompson talking about something, Chris Jones, Bobby Mitchell. It's it's a lot of stuff with quotation marks in the title. And it takes, I'm looking for the first opinion. We 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 scroll down about a dozen plus articles before we get to an opinion piece, which is something we're going to talk about today. The Edmonton Elks and Ty, Hamilton Tiger Cats should swap young quarterbacks. It's less about the it's a lot of the what and less about the why. And I'm not a what guy. I don't care about quotes as a sports fan. I don't really care what head coaches and players have to say. Other people do, and that's fine. But I, I like the the why aspect. This is what happens, and what's your opinion on it? That's what I enjoy doing. And over the past couple of years, that has been phased out more or less and if i'm not going to do something that i believe in or something that brings me joy i don't really want to do it anymore but as as you as a reader have you noticed that there's been a lot less of the analysis stuff and a lot more of the let's grab a headline quote type thing yeah i've noticed that as well and i think that at the beginning of the you know the, the website it was more of like a team by team there was a guy that was covering each team and mm-hmm. you analysis on each team like you were the guy for the tie cats and and drew did it as well for the tie cats but there was there was the i believe the original thought was a blogger or a reporter for each team and then they would report on that team and they've obviously gotten away from that heavily yeah and like i understand like i said earlier things evolve and things change and i understand getting away from maybe that as the core of the site but to me the site was always like if you want straight news go to the CFL's website. Like you can get the player X did this. I was always more interested in maybe this comes from my like university background, my research background, that type of thing. I always more enjoyed the why of something versus the what the, what to me is believe I Mitchell said this. All right, great. What does that mean? Okay. But why, like, what's the, what could this lead to? And it became less and less of that. And that became less and less enjoyable for me. Any, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, so what's, I think a lot of people listening right now are wondering what the future of this show is. Are we going to continue doing Podski? Have you seen the Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. Uh, this We're is coming back. We, that's right. <laughs> this is where we put this, the clip in of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Look, this show no. started, I don't know how many people that are here today listening we're here back in believe it or not 2015 mike it is 2024 we're actually kind of around the nine year birthday of the show i believe our first show came out i want to say it was january the 4th to january the 8th type 
area. So we're we're at we're at or near our birthday today. Um, and it started before three down was a thing. Like you and I yeah. had this idea and we were gonna do it. And then in March of 2015, that's when I was approached about joining the site. And then in May of 2015 is when the site launched. And then we just kind of poured the show over to there. But no, the show's not going anywhere. We're still gonna do it. I still enjoy doing it. The one part of talking about the team, it's it's a lot more fun to bounce ideas off someone else than it is to kind of sit down and be like, I gotta write the same game piece over and over again. Or right. I yeah. got you know what I mean? Like this is more fun. It's like because you have a different opinion, and I have a different opinion. We can bat those off each other and maybe it it, it feels like a I, the show to me is always supposed to have been you're sitting in a conversation between two guys or like two, just two people watching a football game or discussing what's going on. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen on social media, there's this thing where it's like, I, I, I some, some woman posts, I don't know what it is. And I think, I don't know if it was meant to be a dig, but it kind of men can just sit around and talk about old sports guys. Like someone will just say an old sports name and then that they'll have a great yeah. time. That's kind of what I wanted this show to be. And that was independent of three down. This show has never been, we've never been behooven to any sort of like, restrictions from them this was never their thing so no the show's not going anywhere patreon's not going anywhere we're still going to put out bonus content there things might change a little bit like obviously i'm not going to be at tie cats practice every single day anymore because i do have to now go get a job but i'm going to try to get to training camp i'm going to try to get to that and then you know there's we'll, maybe we'll do some different stuff who knows but those things are going to continue to exist so for everyone out there listening no worries. The podcast isn't going anywhere, at least not for right now. As far as I'm I'm, I'm concerned, we're going to continue to do this. Now, that might change. Hey, you never know what could happen in life, right? Like, yeah. yep. I think I'd be sitting here today telling you that I've left three down. But here we are. So things can change. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as you're concerned, as of this moment, we ain't going nowhere, baby. No, no. I, I still really enjoy talking to you about the Thai Cats, And, it, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like a job to me you know what i mean like there's no pressure you know you, there's no due dates you know you have to get this um assignment in by this time or whatever like that so we're still having fun so we're going to continue to do it and no, uh, and, and the one thing is what we have we still <clears throat> we, they have to win a cup and then we yeah. have to do the victory lap year like right, maybe the yeah. year like like maybe that's when we kind of that's the end of the story. You know what I mean? Like they win the, they we go through a season, they win the cup in November, then we spend the next year just kind of like hooting and hollering and living it up as great cup champions and and then that's kind of the that's the swan song so and you never it, know it, it could be like 85 by then so it might go on be. for a but long here's, time here's the thing <laughs> for the people out there that can't stand us uh-huh. but also hate the tie cats and they hear right. oh if the tie cats win a great cup these guys might stop doing this well right. now they're they're kind of on the board of the tie cats win a championship versus okay. oh they're going to keep talking like We've, we've, we've put the haters, so to speak, between a rock and a hard place, and that's kind of funny to me. I think we, like, since we started this show, it's been, we have gone through some devastating losses. I mean, I think <sighs> our first episode was right after the... It was right after the um, 2014 breakup. The, yes. So yeah. we started off with a bang, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we certainly did. We certainly did. All right, what else you got? Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, are you happy? Are you are you you're feeling good about this decision? Uh, I want to know. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I there was there's always moments where you like there. I have fleeting moments where sometimes I'm like, oh, did I just throw away the dream? And then I realize it's not the dream. Like, so when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. 
That was my goal. When I was in university, I was going to go through school. I was going to go to teacher's college. I was going to become a teacher. That I wanted to be a high school history teacher. And then I got into my final semester of university and realized I don't want to be a teacher. And then do I regret that? Not really. I, what, my, maybe it would have been fun. Maybe it would have been, wouldn't have been. I don't know. But you can't look back with any sort of regrets. I get this. I do it. You, you know, I'm thinking this is this is the dream. And then you do it for a bit and you're just kind of like, oh, it's not what I thought it would be. It's still it was still fun, but it wasn't. I had different visions in my head of what it should what it could be. And when those mm -hmm. didn't materialize, then it started to become like when I'm when I would be the guy running the website and it was here's a bunch of riders news to pump out because everyone wants to read about the riders. It got monotonous and not interesting to me. And so that's why I was like, well, do I still want to do the 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 post-game stuff and I'll just step back from doing like the running the site when they need me? And then I was just kind of like, I I no, like I kind of want to go back to being a fan, really. Right. Like I understand getting that getting to sit at a stadium getting to watch a game and not have to fear about, okay, well, I got to go home. I got to write a piece or watching on TV and I got to go home. I got to spend the next two and a half hours writing a piece and maybe missing out on some other stuff because of it. Or it just, it became too not restrictive, but like, I don't know. I just, it wasn't, it wasn't as fun as I had thought it would be when I decided to take it on. So I just kind yeah. of, I, w I won't say I, I didn't throw my hands up and just say I'm done, but I was like, you know what? I, I, it, it was, it was a realization. Usually at the end of every year, I assess whether I want to do it and keep doing it. And this was the first year where it was like, I remember I woke up the day after the gray cup and I was just like, I think I'm done. Like I don't. And I stayed until the end of the year because I had agreed to do some stuff for them that I wasn't going to back out on. Like I'll, I, I committed to, to dates to work for them. I was going to stay committed to those dates, but I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm ready to, you know, go learn a new hold or try and, you know, go have another adventure somewhere else. So that's why I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with my decision. I'm, awesome, I'm, I'm really awesome. Good. And his, uh, Josh Smith's future is a professional wrestler. He's starting to train <laughs> right now. He's a little bit, you know, DDP didn't uh, start wrestling until, uh, he was in his late 30s, so you're not that far behind him, Josh. Yes, but DDP also didn't <laughs> throw out his shoulder doing yoga like I did okay. last winter. Okay. Um, okay. When you're not yes. supposed to do that, you're not yoga's not supposed <laughs> to hurt you. It's supposed to help you. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I messed up my shoulder something fierce. And so yeah, unfortunately, I don't think pro wrestler is uh, is in the cards. Uh, it's unfortunate. Now, I a question for me personally is: is our podcast going to be still be on the website? No, like I, no, no, I didn't think so. Yeah, no, we're done completely with we're, the site. We, I, we have no affiliation with them whatsoever. We're we free are agents, free Josh. agents. That, come is, get that us. is a great way to put it. Yeah, come get us. Whoever wants us, come get us. But other than that, I don't think I have any more questions for you, my friend. Um, if there's anything else you want to say, uh, feel free. I did get a question, and it was mm -hmm. asking me whether or not my future would include covering the CFL, staying in sports media. And the answer to that is probably no. Uh, I, I, I Don't get me wrong. If some other outlet out there wants to pay me to cover the CFL and the Ticats, I would absolutely do it.
but I just left really the only place that does. So there's not really a lot of options out there. So I don't think yeah. my future lies in, in Canadian football media, but if you're out there listening and, and want to talk to me about it, like I'm open to it. I just don't think that that's where I'm going to be headed. That said, there is one job that I would take. And I think it's a job that should exist, but doesn't right now. And that is the Hamilton Tiger Cats having their own in-house writer. I think they've done an excellent mm. job with the audio network. Yes. I think that their written content on their website is not good. When's the last time that you went to the Tiger Cats website to read something that wasn't like a player signing to get like yeah. information for this show to be like, oh, now I know what his career stats were in college or what he did elsewhere. Like it's almost non-existent. And other teams, the Bombers with Ed Tate, the Riders with Rob Vanstone, they have invested in that area. And I think given the changes in Hamilton sports media, the Ticats would be wise to do the same. Now, I'm not saying this just because I would take that job, but I, I would take that job. And I think that there's no one out there who would be more suited for that job than me. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that right now. I think they have an opportunity here. Now, they that decide to do the audio network stuff, and I get it. So maybe that's sort of where they're placing their investment. But if you want to be, they could be the home, the one-stop shop for all things Ticats media related. Yep. Now, given what's happened in the last few months, or I guess in the last few weeks, I know people in the organization listen to the show. So they have my contact information. I don't think I'll hear from anyone yeah. because I don't think, like I said, I don't think they care about, they're like digital footprint, including the written aspect of it. But if they want to own the Ticats media landscape, you know where to find me. Yeah, I think it would be wise for them to follow the lead of the of the writers and the Blue Bombers who have their own writers. Guys who, you know, wrote for newspapers for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, the Ticats with their Ticats audio network have really been inventive in that form. I think that this would be a wise idea to to try to you know bring you in and be the writer for the Ticats website. I just think it would add so much to the website, you know, with the Ticats audio network and then to have a writer who's uh, you know keeping track of what's going on in Hamilton. So I think it'd be a great idea. Do we start the social media campaign then? We got to get a hashtag yeah, I think going. So. I think we should hire Josh. There we go. Hire Josh and tweet it at the Hire site. Josh and, and come get our podcast too. What the hell? You I know? mean, that's Add just, it to the auto dude, network. Like, I, I'm not I'm just saying, like, you you snag me, I can bring the pod to the audio network mm-hmm. as well. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we get so listeners. that's uh that's kind of the story. Podcast going nowhere. Happy with my decision. Ty Cats, come get us. We will happily join your merry band of, of crew and I will happily do yep. uh do some do some writing for your website. Uh I would love to uh, to add that to the resume. Speaking of the media, though, one more thing we got to get into before we get into the actual Ticats news, and that is the other big sort of media happenings in the city of Hamilton when it comes to the Ticats, and that is Steve Milton has been let go by the Hamilton Spectator after nearly 40 years with the paper. He penned his final column at the end of December, and I recommend everyone who can to go find it and read it because it was excellent, as per usual with Steve's writing. He's just another casualty of this changing media landscape that, unfortunately, in my opinion, just no longer values what he did, even though I think that's incredibly short-sighted. But this is just another massive blow to coverage of not only the Ticats in the CFL in this city, 
but sports in Hamilton in general. Mm-hmm. This was absolutely terrible news. I hope he finds a way to to continue covering the the league or or talking about the Ticats because that's a that's a big loss in this space in my opinion. Coupled with Bill Kelly losing his radio show, now he's gone on to do some great things with his podcast, of which I've been on a couple of times. So there is room for these guys there, but man, this uh, reading that reading that column at the end of the month last month just. Uh, it really sucked because losing Steve, someone yep. who knows so much about the team, who's got such a rich knowledge of the history of this league, I think the league and, and the Ticats are worse off with him no longer covering the team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a legend, you know, covering the Ticats and anything Hamilton sports related. I know that he was he was big into figure skating as well. He covered that really, mm-hmm. really good as well. And, um, you know, I've met him on several occasions. Really nice guy. Uh, and I'm going to miss his work. I mean... It was kind of not as much as it used to be recently at the Spectator. You know, he wasn't covering the team as much. Uh, and maybe that was because he was getting older. Who knows? But I'm going to miss reading his articles. You know, it's like one of the only reasons why I have a subscription to the Hamilton Spectators to read what Uncle Milty was going to say about the Ticats. And I'm going to miss that a lot. It was the only reason I had one. And when I phoned the Spectator earlier this week, I canceled my subscription and when they asked the reason for it, I told them because Steve Milton no longer works for the paper, no longer covers the Ticats and the CFL and Hamilton Sports and Forge FC and all that stuff. That's the reason you're not getting my, I don't know, seven or eight bucks a month anymore because the the main reason for me subscribing was to read what he wrote. And I wrote, read everything that he wrote. And now that he's no longer there, I have no reason to continue subscribing to the paper. So if you're like me out there and feel like you need to cancel your subscription, send that message to them. I was told by the person on the phone that the more they hear that stuff, the more they know of what they can do. Now, whether that changes anything, I doubt it simply because yeah, it's just a business thing, right? It's like everywhere, it. you know what I mean? It's too bad, but it's just the way it is these days. Certainly is. Certainly is. I just like you, I've, I've met Steve. I'm, this is, this is not a competition, but I've obviously talked to him right. frequently um, over the yes. past couple of years. I would run into him, Almost every day at training camp, ran into him a ton during Ticats th- this season, talked to him at Grey Cup. Uh, I, again, I won't say I'm not friends with him. I'm I'm obviously not colleagues, but it's more it's there's a relationship there that's a little more than just like casual. Like if he would see me, he'd say hello and I'd do the same and we'd see each other quite frequently. So there was a I don't know. I I just thought he did a great job. I think he's a good man. And it just sucks that he's no longer covering the team. And uh, it's just it's just bad news all around. So Ticats news took a bit of a, a hit a hit in the last couple of weeks. Um, yep. I'm not putting myself up on Steve Milton's pedestal. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, like You're just, just like what I said with Ticats. Now there's less people covering the team, right? So yep. um, obviously you're covering them in this sense, uh, on the podcast sense. But, yeah, both of you guys are going to be going to be missed uh, writing your articles for sure. I mean, there's a legitimate chance that there's no more independent media covering the Ticats next year. Yeah. Like I'm gone. Milton's gone. TSN guys for the practices I showed up for, they came maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks. And normally only when there was something big to cover mm-hmm. CHCH would send someone uh, more, a little more than that, but they weren't there every day. And then you got your CFL you know, the media propaganda wing of the CFL, the, the CFL.ca writers, they would show up. But again, maybe once every three weeks, like the coverage of the team is going to take a hit 
this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, again, another reason why I think the Ticats would be wise to up their investment in their written side. And again, I'm not just saying that because I want that job, because I would love nothing more than to work for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but because you have a chance now to fill a void that is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, a team media is not going to be as opinionated or as critical as say Steve or I would have been outside of the team, but you still have a chance to kind of own that space. Now's the time to kind of jump on it, but uh, yeah, it just sucks. That's all just uh, less coverage of the CFL, less coverage of the Ticats is not good for any of us, but thankfully we have these new forms of media such as this show and, and other, like there's another Ticats podcast out there that, that covers the team too. So there's still going to be the ability to cover the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It just won't be in the traditional sense, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. Ready to talk about some actual Tiger Cats news? Or like <clears throat> enough about the media and and yeah. me waxing poetic about myself? Because there's a lot that we got to get into since we last got together about a month ago. We're going to start, though, with the big news, and that is the Tiger Cats and quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell agreed to a restructured contract for the 2024 season last week. According to TSN's Farhan Lalji, with additional notes from Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation, Mitchell has agreed to a new deal that will see him take a substantial pay cut on what he was expected to earn in 2024. Bo was scheduled to be paid $520,000 in hard money and $540,000 in total money for the 2024 season in what would have been the second year of that three-year contract he signed with the Ticats last January. Instead, Mitchell has reduced his hard money salary to $225,000, with an additional 110,000 in playtime and performance bonuses. That means his deal maxes out at 335,000 or for all you math majors out there, a 38% pay decrease from what he was set to earn this upcoming season. He was also set to get a $175,000 off-season bonus on January the 15th, which sort of set a deadline for these two sides to agree on this restructured deal. We'll get into sort of the overarching things about it or the minutia of it in a second, but Mike we, what do you think here? Like, what do you make of him taking such a large pay cut to remove the team? What does this say to you about his desire to be a Hamilton Tiger Cat in 2024 and beyond? Well, I think it says a lot about him kind of growing. I think that he knows that his career's, you know, on the tail end. He wants to win a championship and he took a shit ton of less money. I mean, $200,000 is a lot of money to uh, leave on the table. That's a, for, that, for that's, a, that's a huge pay cut. For a CFL player, absolutely. And um, it changes my opinion of him a bit. I think that he's dedicated to winning. He really wants to win another championship b- before he retires. And he wants to bring a championship to Hamilton. Now, did he have many options? No, I don't think so. But did Hamilton have many options either? No. So, yeah, it's kind of a um, best-case scenario for, for Bo and for the Ticats because I just don't see – another quarterback unless Nathan Rourke comes back to the CFL, which I, I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. So I just think that it's, uh, you know, you pay Bo Levi Mitchell a lot less, you put that money somewhere else, and you just hope and pray that Bo can still play because we just didn't see enough out of him to know that for sure. Yeah, I think it shows some selflessness on his part. He could have, now, would the team have kept him? At that half a million dollar salary, I don't know. I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. Like you said, what were their options outside of it? Clearly, they did this because both sides looked at the landscape. And we kind of went over this back when 
there was this when it was when Bo said, like, I don't think I'm going to be here. And we kind of went over the snare of like, well, where does he if he wants to be a starter, where is he going? Like, where's the landing spot? And we came upon maybe Edmonton, but we know that's out of the question now because they signed McLeod Bethel Thompson. We went with Ottawa, which still seems like a potential destination. But I mean, now we obviously know it won't be. I think it shows awareness on his part. Half a million dollars for a quarterback who came off probably his worst, not probably came off his worst season as a professional due to injuries and poor play. Like a lot of people are like, well, he was hurt last year. He also stunk when he played. So I think taking this pay cut sort of shows his awareness. And the big thing is the money that allows this team to make moves. You had Tim White last year make 220000 He's probably, after leading the league in receiving, going to need a pay increase. He's probably going to go, you know, 250, 275. This allows for that. Jameer Thurman made 150000 last year. He's probably going to look for a little bit of an increase. You bump him up, maybe 20, 25000 Some of that money comes out of this. And then, of course, you can go and attract other free agents from other teams. So it's, it does speak, like you said, to his desire to win a championship because now with that extra 200000 that the team has to spend, they can keep players around that they want to and give them pay increases. And at the same time, maybe go out and attract some other free agents as well. Like I said, he underperformed last year, played in just six games, threw for just over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, 10 picks, completed under 60% of his passes. It was his worst year as a pro, his worst statistical season since his rookie year, and in his rookie year, he barely played. We know this move got Scott Milanovic's seal of approval, as he said during kind of the winter meetings on Monday, and that's important, but... All the pay cuts in the world won't matter if Bo doesn't play better in 2024 than he did in 2023. So the question I have for you is, do you think he can? Do you think this up, upcoming season, he will be any better than he was this past season? Or are we just in for another disappointing repeat of what we saw a season ago, just with the quarterback being cheaper and the guy on the on the bench being different? Listen, I think that you can look into some of the signings that they've already made in the offseason, especially along the offensive line, and say they are trying. And I, I said this about the team last year, that they are trying to protect Bo as much as possible, give him the, the most time in the pocket that they can. And we're obviously in, seeing investment in the offensive line early on in the offseason here this year. Um we saw glimpses of Bo playing well, and I don't think that he's suffering still from the shoulder injury. So I think the arm strength is there. And I think Scott Milanovic said the same thing, that his arm strength has not diminished. Um, obviously, he had issues with accuracy last year, throwing five interceptions in one game. Um, so the answer is, I do not know. I, I'm hoping. And I think that if you set him up for success, then he will succeed. If you give him time in the pocket, if you bring back Tim White, if you get maybe another star receiver to come in, which was supposed to be Duke Williams last year, but that didn't really work out. But if you get him another really good receiver, you know, surround him. We know James Butler is going to be back next year. If you surround him with a really good offensive line and some really good weapons, I think he still can succeed in this league. Yeah, you mentioned the injuries last year. It wasn't a shoulder injury that did him in. It was lower body injuries. He had the adductor yeah. injury, which is like the groin. He broke his leg. Like, yeah, the accuracy was a problem. He didn't look entirely comfortable in the offense last year. But his best games, and he only played sparingly in them, 
came when Milanovic was the offensive coordinator. Now, he played well against the Riders, and Milanovic wasn't there, but I imagine the playbook was very similar to what Milanovic would have run. The Lions game, he had the one terrible interception, but otherwise played pretty solid, I thought, in that one. I'm a little more pessimistic this year than I think I was last year, just because it's now been half a decade of poor play from Bo Levi Mitchell. Injuries and poor play. Yep. I just, I'm, a, for someone who's going to turn 34, who's coming off an injury-riddled year after coming off a pair of injury-riddled years, I'm a little concerned, but I don't know what the options outside of him were. Like, I looked at, like I said, I think the team looked at the at the quarterbacking landscape. I did the same thing. I didn't like the idea of going to get McLeod Bethel Thompson. Thankfully, someone else made that boneheaded decision. Drew Brown is the guy that's sort of seen as like the next in line. I'm always wary of bringing in a young guy and how that'll work out. Sometimes you get Zach Caleros and sometimes you get Steven Giles. So it's always kind of hit or miss with those guys. They look great. Or look at all the Calgary QBs who look great in Calgary. Nick Arbuckle. Oh, Nick Arbuckle is going to be a star. Second he leaves Calgary, his career might be over, quite frankly. So like you said, I don't think that there was any other options for both sides. And I don't think it necessarily makes this a bad move. But I'm definitely going to be a little more pessimistic on this. Because I went to camp last year. And Milanovic said this in his in his press conference when he was talking to the media. He was impressed with what Bo looked like in camp. I was as well. Like the deep ball accuracy was there. The arm strength was there. And then he gets into the games and it's not there. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Like those, like, do you remember the interception? I think it was the, it must've been, it was the first game against the Argos, second week of the season. Throws a pair of interceptions. One was, was like, no one was around him. And then he underthrew a corner route in the end zone that got picked off. And it's just like, all right, you're a little worried. I, I, I think I'm just going to take like a wait and see approach because Mm -hmm. I just think we need to see him do it over a sustained. He mm-hmm. he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's earned all his accolades. That you can't take that away from him. But this iteration of Bo, yep. I need I need to see more before I'm like jumping for joy. You know what I mean? He's you know he's done. He's accomplished so much in his career. But at this point, you're right. It's like it's like he's starting over new, and we don't really know what he is anymore. So he's basically a very enlightened rookie because um, he he has to prove himself once again completely. So he's back under contract. Taylor Powell is still under contract for next season. Those two will combine to make less than Bo made last year on his own. So that helps as well. But how else would you like to see Hamilton build their QB room? Do you want them to also bring back Matthew Schiltz? Do you want them to go out and maybe sign a different veteran to take over Schiltz's role as the team's number two? Do you want them to elevate Powell to number two and bring in a new developmental prospect to fill Powell's old role? Do they make Powell the backup, bring back a guy like Kai Loxley as the third QB who can do the short yardage stuff, but also can work elsewhere? Or is there something else altogether that you'd like to see the team do? What, how would you ultimately build this quarterback room for 2024? I like, uh, you know, Bo being the starter, obviously. <clears throat> and then Powell behind him. And then I think you bring in a young guy that you try to develop. You know, I I know that guys like Kay Loxley, um, you know, they have their purpose for the short yardage stuff, but I'd just rather have a guy that they're looking at as, you know, the future in that third string mm-hmm. QB spot, a guy that they can develop and down. I know that it's 
it doesn't happen very often in Hamilton where they actually develop a QB, but um, I would like a young third string guy that may be the future down the road. So you're out on Schultz? Yeah, I'm out on Schultz. I, I was high on him at one point, but it's like, why keep him around if we have Powell to be the backup? Powell showed enough to me to be the backup uh, in Hamilton next year. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. As much as I like Matthew Schilt, he had his chance last year. That playoff game, he had a chance to really. He'd I think he'd be the starter in Hamilton if they would have won that game with him as a starter. They didn't. He looked poor. He's 30. I just don't think that that's something they need. I you look at the veteran guys out there that could be backups. I mentioned Arbuckle, Dominic Davis, Jake Dolagala, Mason Fine, Dakota Prukup. None of those. They none are an upgrade over Schiltz, and none of them have the upside of a young guy like Powell. So to me, that would be a waste. I would make Powell the number two. If they bring back a guy like Kyle Oxley as number three, I'd be fine with that. But I think you still bring in a couple of unknowns to compete at training camp. And then there is, of course, because of what happened in Edmonton, there's the Trey Ford conversation. John Hodge at three down wrote a piece outlining why the Ticats and Elks should swap quarterbacks with Trey Ford coming to Hamilton and Taylor Powell heading to Edmonton. I'm sure much like yourself read this article. He, he does a good job of outlining why this is great for Edmonton, but I, I read it twice and I didn't really see any reasons that the Ticats should do this outside of him thinking Bo Levi Mitchell is too old and Trey Ford being from Niagara Falls and having played at the university of Waterloo. Where do you kind of stand? Because there's a lot of excitement at the idea of Trey Ford maybe coming to Hamilton, and there's a lot of anger at the Elks for signing McLeod Bethel-Thompson to replace Trey Ford as a starter. Where do you stand on the idea of maybe Trey Ford coming to the Hammer? Uh, I, I, I'm taking a pass on this one. Uh, I think Trey Ford is an exciting young player, but I just don't see how he fits in Hamilton. And you bring him in, and it's instantly – QB controversy with the fans, yep. right? And we're starting right from the beginning of training camp with the uh, QB controversy. So I, I just, I've seen enough of that in Hamilton over the years being a fan. I don't want to see it again. And listen, like I said, Trey Ford's a very young, exciting quarterback who can run all over the field very fast, but he just, I saw it, you know, when he first started in Edmonton, he was fresh. There was no real film on him. People didn't really know. Teams didn't really know what to expect. And I think later, as the season went along, I I found that defenses played better against him, contained him better. And there was a game that I went to in Edmonton. It was Edmonton versus BC. And I think it was like the first team that really clamped down on Trey Ford, wouldn't allow him to run all over the field. There was a play where he ran back about 15, 20 yards and couldn't get away from the defenders. So I think maybe I could be wrong in this, but I think maybe Trey Ford is a little bit overhyped by everyone. And, um, <laughs> he, he, a little he may bit? not, a li- yeah, yeah. He may not be the guy that everyone thinks he's going to turn into. If Trey Ford was born in Niagara Falls, New York, this would not be a thing because he was born on this side of the border. Everyone loves him. And I'm fine with that. I want to see Canadian quarterbacks as well, but the idea that Trey Ford He's an exciting player, like you said. He's a dynamic playmaker. And we all get enamored with those wow plays. Remember the touchdown pass he threw against the Argos where he scrambles around and then finds, like, man, oh, man, it's like, oh, this is Canada's Lamar Jackson. 
And then you dig into the numbers and like, they're a little more impressive than I thought. Like I, I wanted to do a comparison between him and Powell. Their completion percentages were about the same four yards per attempt were over, was over nine, which is incredible. He had more touchdowns and fewer interceptions. And obviously he ran the ball better, but Taylor Powell in eight starts did not have a game throwing for less than 200 yards. Trey Ford in nine starts had five and I'm sorry, but the same conversations we had about Tim Tebow for a decade, uh, Tim Tebow would come up here because he can run and he's big and he can. And the one pushback that everyone had is, yeah, but the guy can't throw. And if you can't throw, you can, and everyone wants to make the comparisons to Doug Flutie, but Doug Flutie was a hell of a thrower of the football. You don't set the league record for passing yards in the season. If you're just a dynamic playmaker, you have to be a great quarterback. Doug Flutie was, and I think people just want to, they, and I th- we might be guilty of this as well, but you want to reminisce about the high-flying, you know, athletic quarterbacks of the 1990s and forgetting that Doug Flutie was kind of an outlier. Yes, there was Damon Allen. Yes, Tracy Ham, But you still have to throw from the pocket. Danny McManus was successful doing that. Um, David Archer was successful doing that. Anthony Calvillo, who some very smart, handsome, sexy men think is the greatest okay, quarterback in CFL history. I'm going to say something right here, right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say it. And I, you know, I was, I rethought, okay. So me and Josh did a top five list, right? Of quarterbacks in our lifetime. I put uh, Ricky Ray, number two, AC, number three. That was a mistake. I'm going to admit my mistake right here, right now. It should have been AC, number two. Okay. <laughs> if I had it that way, it would have been a perfect list. And I would have never change the Flutie's number one, but I will admit I was wrong with the number two pick. It should have been Anthony Calvia. That's okay. That's okay. But what I'm saying is pocket passers, Bo Levi Mitchell, not fleet of foot, can be nope. successful in this league. And I just think that people get so enamored with Trey Ford because of his passport and because of what he can do as a playmaker. I don't see him as an upgrade over Taylor Powell. You know what I mean? Like you can, again, I'm I'm not against if if tomorrow we wake up and it's the Hamilton Tiger Cats have traded a Taylor Powell to the Edmonton Elks for Trey Ford. Okay, cool. But I don't see the Tiger Cats doing that for one major reason. If Bo gets hurt, you put Trey Ford in there. The the offense has to be completely different. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with Taylor Powell, yeah, he can be a little. He's he's a lot more mobile than Bo, but he's he's I, he's nowhere near as mobile as Ford. But the offense can remain the same. And Powell's work with Milanovic. So Milanovic knows his tendencies. With Ford, it's a completely different offense. And I just don't think I, I think when you when you look at roster building of a team, I don't think your backup quarterback should be the complete stylistic opposite of your starter. And mm-hmm. like you said, it would instantly, instantly create a quarterback controversy. The second Bo throws an interception in the game the fans are going to start booing and calling for Ford. And I just don't think that you want, if, if this team, if they wanted to trade Bo for Ford and have Ford be the guy and live with the growing pains, that's a different story. Trey Ford is the backup. Cause we're going to see, I don't think he's going to get traded quite frankly. And we're going to see in Edmonton, McCall Bethel Thompson might struggle. And then you're going to hear the boo birds and they're going to pan to Trey Ford on the sideline on TSN. And it's going to start. And they're going to talk about it on the panel. And the guys at three down are going to discuss it and the people covering the Elks are going to discuss it. And the, you know, the turf district podcast is going to discuss it. It's going to be a thing. Why would you want to bring that to Hamilton for what I don't think is 
all that more of an upside over the guy that they already have. That's why I think the idea that both teams should do this because it's good for both teams. It's a little silly to me. Yeah. And if, you know, if Bo's the guy, then, then put all your chips in on Bo, you know, don't bring in Trey Ford and muddy the waters. And, you know, I just don't see how it benefits the Hamilton Tiger cats. We have a fine backup quarterback in Taylor Powell. Maybe he's the future starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger cats. Let's not rock the boat. We have a good guy in him, so let's just keep him. Well, and here's the thing. Bo took a pay cut. He's still signed for this season and next season. But if he stinks again this year or is hurt, he's probably not here next year. And do you know who's an unrestricted free agent? Because there's no such thing as restricted free agents in CFL after this upcoming season? Trey Ford. So if they want to go all in on Trey Ford, it's not like the NFL where you get a rookie quarterback and you get him on his rookie deal and – Oh, you build the rest of the team around him. I mean, they're getting Bo. Bo, I did. I looked at the numbers on quarterbacks. Bo right now at his max salary would have been the eighth highest paid quarterback in the CFL last year. Can you imagine eighth. that a couple years ago? No way. And and But now think of it this way. So Trevor Harris recently took a pay cut. I doubt I doubt it's as deep as Bo's, but he's, he's making less. But you still have Vernon Adams. Chad Kelly and McCall Bethel-Thompson both have big money deals. You still got Zach. You still got Cody Fajardo, who signed an extension, likely got a pay raise there. Uh, who else am I forgetting here? Mazzoli, we'll see whether or not he keeps his his job in Ottawa or not. I, I probably think they're going to move on from him. Uh, what other teams? Am I, Jake Mayer makes more. Like So Bo, there's a chance that Bo, as the starter, goes in as the ninth highest paid starting quarterback. The eight, you know, he's he's going to be in that 7, 8, 9 range for a starting quarterback. Right. So it's not as if bringing in Trey Ford. And yes, I know he's making less than a hundred. I mean, he was a first round pick. So he's maybe making about a hundred thousand this year. So yes, there still would be savings, but to me, you want to go get Trey Ford. You play it out with Bo this year. He's no good. You have Powell. Who's likely, a, I think I'm pretty sure his contract's up after this season. They want to make a change and they want Trey Ford. Then you go and get Trey Ford. And yes, it'll cost you more, but are you going to pay him more than $400,000? Like it's not going to be a significant increase over what you're paying your quarterbacks right now. So I just don't see the reasoning for the tie cats to do this quite frankly. And I, you know, you never say never because you know, we make proclamations. The next thing you know, we look like morons, but I would be very surprised if Trey Ford's in a tie cats uniform this year. Yeah, I totally agree. And <clears throat> it just makes sense for Powell to be the backup to both David Mitchell, both pocket passers. You know, you don't have to change anything when, when Powell comes in. So I, I just think the wise decision is to sit Pat. All right. So sticking with Ticats QBs, we're going to talk about a former one here. As we said, goodbye to Dane Evans, who announced his retirement from professional football on New Year's Day. He spent Evans, that is, the last year of his career with the BC Lions after playing the first five years of career with the Ticats. He had a lot of highlights during his time in black and gold. He helped guide the team to a pair of great cup appearances in 2019 and 2021 as well as being a key part of the 2019 team that won a franchise franchise best 15 games that year. His tenure in Hamilton, as we all remember, however, ended poorly after he was handed the reins as kind of the face of the franchise in 2022. But he still seems to be a fairly beloved figure in the community. Go back and watch the game where he came back with the Lions last October. He got a really nice ovation from the fans at Tim Hortons Field. With his career, despite it finishing in B.C., he obviously had his most memorable moments with the Ticats. So now with his career mm -hmm. over, what are a couple memories that you have? What are you going to remember most about Dane Evans' time in the CFL and most specifically in black and gold? 
I think what I'll remember most is uh, that 15 and three season when uh, Mazzoli went down, and I think I tweeted like, "Oh, that's it. We're done. Yep. It's over. Uh, call it a night." You know, the season felt like done. 2015 all over again. Yep. And what does Dane do? He comes in and leads this team to its best record ever. Um, just a tremendous season. He was on fire. I was saying crazy things like he's going to go to the NFL. He's so good. And I was just in love with him. I really was. And uh, also, I'll remember the playoff game when he came in at halftime against the Toronto Argonauts, went something stupid like 16 to 16 and led the team to a Grey Cup. So those, you know, those are the two memories that really stand out. That tremendous season, the 15 and three, you know, a season that we never see like that. You know, it's either 10 and eight. like That's the most we get or 11 and seven, maybe. But to have a winning record of 15 and three with the Ticats is is pretty special. So I I hold um, Dane Evans in very high regard. Yeah, the 2021 East Final, 16 to 16, 249 through the air, one touchdown, two rushing TDs. That's the high water mark. That's what I think everyone. I, I still have visions of the camera as he takes the kneel down to win the game and his arms mm-hmm. outstretched at BMO Field. I remember watching that on on TV. Yeah, you mentioned the 2019 season. The 2019 East Final, he had a touchdown pass to Brandon Banks where he rolls out and throws on the run, and Banks makes a diving catch. That's seared into my brain. The play on the field, though, to me was secondary because I thought he handled himself the way he handled himself in 2022 when things were going poorly is a textbook example of how a professional athlete should handle the bad times. I he you never saw him complain. You saw he was open and honest about suffering through like how often do you see professional athletes talk about the mental health drain and dealing with problems like that and talking to a sports psychologist? And I know there's some people out there that say, well, that's why the team let him go and all this other nonsense. But that to me was incredibly refreshing. The work he did in the community, especially within the indigenous communities here in the, in the region is something that should be celebrated. He was a great player on the field. I was like, I, if you go back and listen to our shows, I hated the fact that he was scapegoated for the problems in 2022, but I think a fresh start was needed for everybody. It's sad that his career is over, but it's nice that he gets to go out on his terms. It's not an injury that's forcing him away from the game. He gets to go out on his, on his own, on his own terms, probably going to get into coaching. If you remember back during the, uh, during the lost season, during uh, the pandemic in 2020, he went back to coach in his uh, hometown. So likely going to be a coach. Maybe we see him back in the CFL as a coach in some capacity. I hope he finds his way back to Hamilton at some point, because I do think he's still a very, a very well-liked figure here. He's unfortunately going to go down as a what if, because he looked like he had a decade plus career ahead of him as the Hamilton tire cat starting quarterback. And it lasted a season, but, uh, yeah, nothing but good things. I, I know his tenure with the team didn't end as any of us wanted to, but I don't think any of us are going to look back and think anything poorly about Dane Evans. Just a class act on and off the field. I mean, I remember covering the team that year, and he would literally, as he was walking off the practice field, thank the fans for showing up. Right. Like, it's just little things like that that you just you learn to kind of appreciate and respect the athlete as a person. and t- It shows you what type of person they are when they go out of their way to do stuff like that. So all the love in the world to Dane Evans. I know mm-hmm. that there's uh, certain people out there that think that we were a little too harsh on him, uh, me in particular, claiming that uh, I, I was kind of putting the blame on him and helped run him out of town, but that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm glad he's he's found some peace and we'll, uh, we'll get to move on. And hopefully his football journey 
sees him back in Canada someday. But just a hell of a player and a hell of a person. Just uh, unfortunate that his we didn't get to see him play longer, sadly. Yeah, and the one thing that'll stand out to me was he was just a very humble person. You know, you you, you never saw him yelling and screaming at his receivers, putting the blame on them. If anything, he put the blame on himself a little bit too much. So, um, like you said, a great football player, but I, I like I don't know him personally, but from the sense I get, he's a great human being as well. All right. One of the other big happenings during our annual Christmas time hiatus was the league announcing the 2024 schedule. As we found out during the Grey Cup week, the CFL is returning to a balanced schedule for 2024, which means the Ticats will host every team and play in every city this upcoming season. That news seemed to make a lot of fans happy. The unbalanced schedule didn't bother me, but hey, if people like it, that's not a bad thing. We're not going to go through the entire schedule here, but I think we should hit some of the important dates here. Ticats will open their season on Friday, June the 7th in Calgary against St. Peter's, their first trip to Calgary since 2022 with Dane Evans broke the, speaking of Dane Evans, broke the curse of McMahon. This will mm-hmm. foreseeably be, believe I Mitchell's return to Calgary because it is week one. I wonder if they put it in week one on the hopes that he doesn't get hurt in training camp and therefore right. there's a really good chance that he'll actually be playing in that one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, the following week is their home opener on Sunday, June the 16th against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Of interest to my co-host here, Mike, they play in Edmonton on Sunday, July the 28th. Their first game against the Grey Cup champion Montreal Alouettes comes in week nine when they meet at Tim Hortons Field on Friday, August the 2nd. They play the Owls the following week again in Montreal, and that is it for their games against the Alouettes in 2024, barring a playoff meeting, of course. The Labor Day Classic against the Argos will take place on Monday, September 2nd. Their final regular season home game comes against the Stampeders on Friday, October the 18th, and they end the regular season the following Friday on October the 25th in Ottawa against the Red Blacks. They have three bye weeks that come in weeks 6, 13, and 19. That week 13 bye is the week right after the Labor Day Classic, so no short rest for the Tabbies this year. Only twice do they have back-to-back road games in weeks 3 and 4 at Saskatchewan and then at Ottawa, and again in weeks 16 and 17, when they travel to Toronto, which is not all that much of a road game, and then to BC. They play no Thursday night games this year, eight games on Friday, four games on Saturday, five on Sunday, and one on Monday. So, Mike, do you have any thoughts on this schedule, things you like, things you don't like, et cetera, just general thoughts on what Hamilton's path to the Grey Cup will be in 2024? Well, I like the the week one in Calgary. I might have to make a a jaunt down the highway here and maybe – Go to that Calgary game. Obviously, the Edmonton game. Um, Labor Day Classic is always a must. Uh, what time is it this year? Oh, it's 5 p.m. 2.30. So, 2.30. So it's not the classic 1 o'clock start. Um, no. Which is unfortunate. I just, I, yes. I like that because, uh, you know, just a, a throwback to uh, my younger days. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it's balanced because if you can't do – the unbalanced schedule right then you know go back to the to the balanced schedule yeah i mean if they could do it right then then i'd be all for it as well but um to be not i think we play toronto three times i just don't like playing a team four times in a season and if you can space it out as much as possible that would be nice but you know there's not a ton to say about cfl schedules in my opinion because there's only nine teams so you know what's you know it is what it is, but I do. I am excited about the first week, the game at Edmonton, and, uh, of course, the Labor Day Classic. 
So I love that there's no Thursday night games for the Ticats this year. I am thrilled that there's no, oh, they're kicking off at nine o'clock in Edmonton on a Thursday. No, thank right. you. I hate that last year. Got, got a little bit of heat for that for some people, <clears throat> but uh, no, we don't have to deal with that. I love that there are very few short weeks. Um, the only time that they have like five days rest between games comes in weeks eight and nine. They only have two other short weeks, which is really six days. They plan a Saturday, then a Friday, but that to me is great. Love the bye week after Labor Day. I think that should be something every year. I know you can't do it every year because then that means the Argos have to, like if you're not going to do the Argos Ticats the following week, that I feel as if at least one of those teams should be off and the other one should be hosting the game the following week. The fact that the Ticats would host on Labor Day on Monday and then go to Ottawa on Friday for a game I thought was ridiculous. And I'll think the same thing. I haven't dug into the Argos schedule because we're not doing that here. But if the Argos were on the road after the Labor Day game, I think that that's stupid. I, I think the bye weeks in general are nicely spaced out. There's no week one bye. I don't think the Ticats have ever had the week one bye, which is kind of nice. So when the season starts, we're right in the mix of things. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things I don't like, though. You mentioned the Labor Day kickoff time. I hate that it's at 2.30. It should be at 1 p.m. every year. I understand it's for TV that they change it. We saw complaints from the people out west about having to travel and how it makes it difficult when that game's later. They moved it back because last year it was 3.30. This game should just be at 1. This game kicks off at 1. The game in Calgary kicks off at 4.30. I don't understand why that has to be a thing. (coughs) Pardon me. I hate the 10.30 kickoff for the game in B.C., I don't care what people think. East team should not be playing games 10 p.m. or later ever. That is a terrible thing. I don't know how much college football you, Mike, or our listeners watch. But on New Year's Day, the Sugar Bowl kicked off at 9 o'clock Eastern. And everyone who follows and covers college football said that that was idiotic. That that game should not, because it didn't end until almost 1 o'clock in the morning Eastern. Yeah, college football games are long. They are, but it's also the idea that that game, one o'clock in the morning on a Monday when people have to go to work the next day. And I Mm -hmm. get that the the BC game, I think it's on a, I'm going to look at, I got schedule here. It's on a Friday, so you don't have, I I get that, but why can that game not be 7 p.m. on a Saturday versus 10.30 p.m. on a Friday? Like, I just don't understand this need for East teams. If it's a West game, like if that's Saskatchewan or Calgary at BC, it's different because you all are on uh, like what, what's the difference between where you are in BC one hour, I think. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if Edmonton's playing in BC and it's a, I, I guess yeah. 30 kickoff, there'd be a seven thirty kickoff. There'd be an eight thirty kickoff for you. That's not to me as big a deal versus an East team, which that game would end at nearly one o'clock in the morning. And that's just, to, to me, that's just ridiculous. Like that, that should just never happen in my opinion. Um, okay. Enough schedule talk. Let's get back to some player talk here because the Ticats were very busy on the signing front. And the biggest one that they re-signed, one of their pending free agents, was getting four-time CFL All-Star offensive lineman Brandon Revenberg back to the team on a new two-year deal. Revenberg has been a rock for the Ticats since they traded up to draft him third overall in the 2016 CFL draft. Did you know, Mike, that he has never missed a game due to injury and has only missed two games in his entire career? True. True. I did not know that. Interesting fact. Yeah. Um, he's a four-time league all-star, as I said, five-time East Division all-star, and three-time East Division most outstanding offensive lineman. Only Stanley Bryant of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers has more accolades as an offensive lineman over that time period than Brandon Revenberg. So 
Wow. I know, you know, we still th- think of him as a young player, even though he's now in his 30s, but that's a Hall of Fame caliber resume that he's got right there, Mike. So what does this signing mean to you, and what do you think it means for the Ticats in 2024 and beyond? Well, you just had to bring a guy like Brandon Reverber back. Um, it, the interior of the offensive line just <clears throat> wouldn't be the same without him. So I think it, it, it means a ton to the franchise. It means a ton to the offense. I think it means a great deal to the running attack, the passing attack, all that good stuff. And uh, it's just great to have him locked up for a couple more years because he's one of the best in his position. He's arguably the best, I would yep. say. And I think that he hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. This kind of locks up. If they decide to keep Joel Figueroa, which I think they will, this kind of locks down that left side of the offensive line if Figueroa can stay healthy. I mean, of course, he came to Hamilton and got hurt after mm-hmm. years of being able to play through injuries in B.C., but no, this is, uh, I don't think it can be downplayed how big of a deal this is. This was one of those ones that I'd never felt like he was going to leave. I think the fact, do you remember when he was drafted and everyone was like, who? Because he mm-hmm. wasn't on that scouting bureau list like that they put out. He wasn't a, thought of as a top draft pick. But the Ticats, not only did they take him in the first round, they traded up to do, I think they had like the sixth pick in the draft that year. S- six, seven, they were in that range. They traded up to make sure they got him, which showed that they wanted him. And I remember at the time thinking that might pay div- if they, if he becomes great, that might pay dividends because they've continued. They they showed him the very first day that he was available. No, we want you here, and that was with a different regime. We're now three regimes after four regimes really after that happened. But I still think the love for him with this franchise can can is still there. So. I think that that helps get these deals done. So I never really thought he was going anywhere, but it was still nice when the news hit just before we took, I think it was just after we recorded our last show that he was going to be coming back. So yeah, huge signing. I don't think it could be downplayed at all. No, not at all. And it's just, he's unique because he's an athletic offensive lineman in the interior of that offensive line. It's like he can move downfield and throw blocks, you know, 15 yards downfield if he has to. So that's another thing that you can add to his repertoire. So the team also re-signed another Canadian offensive lineman when they agreed to an extension with 2020 first-round pick Coulterwood Manzi on December mm-hmm. 22nd. Unlike Revenberg's deal, the length of this pack has not been disclosed. Usually that means it's a one-year deal, but we don't really know. The Ticats selected Woodmansey with the fifth overall pick in the 2020 CFL draft, and he has made 28 starts in 32 career games, including 17 starts last season. The team also brought back American offensive lineman Brandon Kemp, who started 10 games for the Ticats last season, mostly at right tackle. Canadian offensive lineman Jakob Zott and American defensive lineman Cedric Wilcott's the second. And they also re-signed earlier in the month of December American offensive lineman Kendrick Sartour and long snapper Gordon White to two-year deals. With Joel Figueroa likely returning, David Beard agreeing to an extension last May, it's entirely possible the Ticats have their starting offensive line already set for 2024. You got Figueroa at left tackle, Revenberg at right guard, Beard at center, Woodmansey at left guard, and either Sartor or Kemp at right tackle. They're going to bring in some American rookies because they always do. Jordan Murray is still unsigned, so things could change. But if that's the group that I just, the one I just laid out, if that's the group that mm-hmm. comes into the season, goes into mm-hmm. next season as the starting five, as our offensive line guy, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, very confident in this group. If that's who they bring back, 
Uh, my only concern was Figueroa, if he can stay healthy. But if he can, he's uh, he's a tremendous left tackle. There's no doubt about it. And I, I really like the Kemp signing as well. He's only 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he suited up in 10 games. He's, he had 10 starts on the offensive line last year. He's a mammoth of a man, 6'7", 310 pounds. Um, and he was an honor roll nomination in Week 12 for his performance at left tackle versus the BC Lions. I think there's a ton of potential there, whether he plays at right or left tackle. So I think that's a really good depth signing as well. Yeah, and I think that that's he could be one of those guys. I'm a, I'm less high on Sartor. I did not think he looked well, played well last year. I was much higher on Kemp. I still like Tyrone Riley, who's a pending free agent. I think that the Sartor and Kemp signings means that he's unlikely to be back next year, but you never know. Kemp could be kind of the replacement for Figueroa. Like Figueroa's got one more year left on his deal. I still think he's, like I said, I I think he's going to return. I haven't heard any sort of rumblings that he's not. But Kemp could be the guy that ends up replacing him as left tackle a year from now. And guys who play offensive line, I've heard this time and time again, it's the second year where they really start to figure things out because they're so used to playing American football that when they come to the CFL and the man's a yard off, it makes things difficult. So very rarely do you see these tackles excel in the first year. But I think a guy like Brandon Kemp, who I'm more high on than than Sartour, could be a guy that maybe we look forward to seeing as sort of the left tackle going forward. But regardless, these are good depth signings. If they bring back Jordan Murray, I'd be really excited. Put him at right tackle. Like the offensive line that they could have had if everyone stayed healthy last year was the, to me, the the perfect, when they brought Murray back just, I think it was just before Labor Day. That to me would have been the the ultimate group, but I think we only saw him in maybe one game. So hopefully they can get him back. If not, I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, it'd be nice to put that group together. But if this is the group, I'm, we were really high on the offensive line last year and they kind of disappointed in some ways, but I mean, I'd still go in thinking this is one of the better groups that they've had over the last decade and, and a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if they managed to bring back Jordan Murray, I think that would be a tremendous addition but uh, even if they don't, like you said, uh, I'm still pretty comfortable going into the season with these guys. So the Ticats lost some players as defensive lineman Trey Crawford and defensive backslash kick returner Lawrence Woods both departed the team in December. Crawford signed with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders while Woods inked a deal with the BC Lions. Crawford played in 12 games with the Ticats over two seasons, totaling 19 tackles and four sacks, while Woods played in 21 games was the team's primary kick returner in 2022 and started the 2023 season as the field corner, but injuries and poor play saw him lose both jobs as the season went on. I know that neither of these players were stars, but is there one or maybe both of them that you wished would have stuck around or are you kind of okay with both these guys trying to continue their careers elsewhere? I'm kind of okay with them leaving Um, Trey Crawford. I think there's some potential there, but I don't see him, you know, breaking out this season. And Woods is a really good return guy, but not very good in the secondary. So I think he could have success returning the ball if he signed somewhere else. But to me, these guys are just kind of, you know, it's it's not going to make a big impact on the team. They're leaving isn't going to make a big impact on the team. So I'm kind of meh on the whole thing. Yeah, same here a little bit. Like Woods was just beaten out like. Tyreek mm-hmm. McAllister beat him out for the return job. Other younger guys beat him out for the corner job. I think it was was Dexter Lawson playing there by the end of the season. I, there was so much shuffling in the secondary. I can't remember who the field corner was by year's end, but he was just, he was beat out. I would have liked to have seen more from Crawford. I, I just didn't see enough of him to make it a big deal. 
Woods was great in the community, so that's that's the unfortunate side effect of him leaving is losing a guy like that. But to me, that's not something – you don't keep a guy around just because he's good in the community. I don't think either is a major loss, but it wouldn't surprise me if both of these guys went on to have good careers elsewhere. Maybe they'll get more opportunities there. I wish them well, but, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm not uh, – I'm not overly concerned with 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 either of these losses. I don't know really I don't know how to segue into this. It's the last thing we're going to talk about, and it's an unfortunate piece of news here that we have to end the show on with the sad news of legendary Hamilton Tiger Cats running back Willie Bethea passing away at the age of 85 last Friday. Bethea played with the Tiger Cats for seven seasons and won three Grey Cups and was enshrined in the team's Wall of Honor in 2012, I believe. Mike, you did a profile on Willie Bethea for your Patreon show. And we're going to play that segment of the show at the end of today's show. But is there anything that you want to talk about, anything you kind of learned about his career as you researched it when you did it way back a few months ago? You know, I don't want to repeat what I'm going to, what I'm going to say in the piece that we're going to play. So I I did get some tidbits that weren't in that uh, audio piece. So thanks to uh, Scott Radley, who wrote a, wrote a piece in the spectator about uh, Mr. Bethea, Uh, I got some additional information from that. Uh, He was inducted into the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame in 2010, obviously a three-time Grey Cup champion. He played the 67 Grey Cup with broken ribs. Um, He had five surgeries on his knees before he called it quits in 1970. He played no university ball, but had a scholarship for basketball to Ryder University, who didn't have a football team. So he began his pro career in the American Coastal Football League that led to offers from the NFL and the CFL. He ended up choosing Hamilton in uh, in the early 60s. And after his career, he stayed in Hamilton for several years selling cars, um, which is an interesting fact. I, I totaled his Grey Cup stats. He played in the 63, 64, 65, and 67 Grey Cup accumulating 177 rushing yards and 150 receiving yards with two TD catches. An absolute legend of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, one of the best running backs that you could you could want in that era. It was more of, um, obviously, back then they ran the ball a lot more, so it wasn't just him uh, toting the rock. There was usually two other guys that ran the ball alongside him. But apparently he was the top guy the whole time. Players came in, tried to take his job, and it never happened because he was so good. And he didn't have that breakaway speed necessarily, but he was a guy that could get the tough yards, you know, that 10, 15-yard run or even the 2, 3-yard run for the first down. So he didn't have breakaway speed, but he was a hell of a tough guy, hell of a tough guy, especially looking at all those surgeries and coming back. After the surgeries, you know, this is, we're talking about the 1960s here. We're not talking about the 2020s. Uh, it was much different going under the knife back then, I would assume, compared to nowadays. So, yeah, just, uh, and from whatever, um, there was a couple quotes in that piece as well saying, you know, former teammates saying that he was a hell of a guy as well. Not just a great football player, but a great person as well. Interesting that he probably played in... That, that's 60s, late 50s to the that, – that's the golden era of this team, right? Like Absolutely. No like question. Like that's, that's – when you think of the Hamilton Tiger Cats and you think of their successes, it's that, what, maybe 1957 to 196 mm-hmm. the Ralph Sazio. Like that's the, that's the decade of dominance that we – it's, you know, been 60-something years, 70 in some cases. Yeah. But 
that's where we kind of hang the hat where it's like you look back on on sort of the golden era of the Hamilton Tiger Cats that's what you think and he was a big part of that and mm-hmm. so yeah there's uh there's really no good way to end when you have to talk about something like this unfortunately uh the older you get the the more you see now obviously he wasn't uh, a legend of our time he was done playing long before either you and I were born but he's still part of the rich history of this club that has existed in some form or fashion for over 150 years he's enshrined forever in the wall of honor so that's one of those things that you'll never take away from him. his name will be at tim hortons field and then any other stadium that occupies that land for the rest of time so yep that's all for this week um thanks for joining us we are now going to leave you with mike's career retrospective on the late great willie bethay we will talk to you next time he was born on july 31st 1938 He would attend high school in New Jersey and then would go on to attend Ryder University located in Lawrence Township, New Jersey. He would begin his pro career with the ACFL. I've never heard of it either. The Atlantic Coast Football League, a semi-pro league that operated from 1962 to 1973. He would be named the league's most valuable player in 1962, his only year in the league. He would rack up 706 yards running the ball with seven touchdowns and added two touchdowns catching the ball, so nine in total. After that year, he signed with our Hamilton Tiger Cats, where he would begin an eight-year stretch with the team. And what a stretch it was, in arguably the greatest decade of the franchise illustrious history. Bethea and the Tabbies would collect three Grey Cup trophies in eight years. Willie's numbers don't jump off the page when you look at them, but that's because the Tiger Cats, throughout most of his stretch, used three players to run the rock. Offenses were much different back then, but his best statistical season came in 1967, when he had 767 yards rushing and 5 TDs, but also had a career high in receiving the same year with 520 yards. One of his most memorable moments came in the 1965 Grey Cup where he scored a 69-yard TD on a short pass out of the backfield. This is the thing that they try and do. They try and get a back with pretty good speed on a slower corner linebacker. And watch Bethia go in motion here. Number 54, pick him up. See Bethia wave. Hey, I'm open. He just barely got it. And then he runs away. Ernie Pitts comes over from the other side of the field too late. 69 yards for the touchdown to put Hamilton ahead 16-13. Bathia was a CFL All-Star in 1967. A three-time Grey Cup champion, he is a Wall of Honor member at Tim Hortons Field and was named to the all-time Ticat team in 2012. He would end his career with 3,919 rushing yards and 21 rushing touchdowns. A true Ticat icon. So a tip of the cap to Willie Bethea.